This is the Finding Fins Fishing Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? It generates something like two point four billion dollars. I don't know. Maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I, I knew you were going to go there. Walleyes relating to deep mud, where there's schools of bait fish. Today's show is brought to you by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. The Finding Fins Fishing Podcast is part of the Sporting Journal Radio family, where our mission is to hunt, fish, conserve, and do it all over again. Show off your pride for the outdoors with new gear from the Sporting Journal Radio store. Go to sportingjournalradio.com, click on store, and browse our selection of hoodies, hats, mugs, and more at sportingjournalradio.com. Well, there's some things in this business that are uh, that we call no doubters. And anytime there's news about certain subjects, we have to share it because it's something that there's so many people in this region that care about it. We have to do it because it's it's uh, one of those big headline grabbers, uh, tension getters. And anytime you talk about news on Malax Lake, that's a no doubter. And we have got uh, some news about it right now that we're going to talk about. In fact, we're going to bring on uh, somebody that can explain some of these changes a little bit better than we can here on the show. It's uh, Brian Nurbin, the regional fisheries manager. He's going to tell us about Malax and uh, some of the other changes going on in the world of fishing. Brian, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. How, when somebody says, "Hey, we want you to we want you to do some media and talk about Malax," how, what's your first reaction when that when that question comes up? Well, it depends on what maybe the news is surrounding <laughs> at that particular moment, but. Uh, I get plenty of practice talking about this lake, and so it, it's a lot of things that I'm familiar with talking about for sure. Well, this is—I I would say this is good news. I'm sure people are excited about this. Uh, as announced uh, in March, the one fish walleye limit uh, will resume on Malax on September 1st. But there's an expansion of the harvest slot, so anglers will be able to harvest one walleye 20 to 23 inches, or one longer than 26, with fishing allowed from 6 a.m. to midnight. Now that original uh, slot was one fish 21 to 23 or one longer than than 28. Was there a was there a restriction on times that you could fish originally? Did that expand as well? Um, you know, that's something we've been doing a little bit more of the last couple of years. Last year, we started September 15th, where we let people fish till midnight. Uh, there's a pretty long tradition on Mille Lacs of people wanting to troll, um, especially in the full moon times at night. And so we wanted to allow that tradition to come back. Um, and so we started with September 15th last year just to see how much response we would get. We got definitely some people come out to, to take advantage of that, but it wasn't you know, an overwhelming rush of people. And so we decided it would be okay to expand that to September 1st this year. So that was, that was originally in the plan back in March when we announced it to relax that, that time. I, I haven't spent a lot of time on that lake, but I remember hearing about some night fishing closures years ago. Um, and I was like, wow, that's, you know, I mean, is fishing really that much better after dark that they have to close it down? And then I fished, one of the first times I fished Mille Lacs, we started at one and fished, I think the closure was at nine, if I remember, I can't remember what time yeah. it was. I think it was 10, yeah. I think we fished from one to, one to 10, probably, one to closure. And we caught a couple walleyes throughout the day, but as soon as that sun dropped below the horizon, it was like, and we were filming a TV show and we were on one of the big boats and there was 10 of us out there with slip bobbers and whatever. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the sun went down, it was like bobber, 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 bobber. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah. 
Well, and with a lot of walleye fishing, you know, the, the walleye is really sensitive to light. Sure. And as, as that lake is cleared, and that relates to some of the changes we've been seeing in the lake over the last 30 years or so, um, I think that that's just a more pronounced trend where they are more, you know, turning on when that light goes a little bit lower when that sun goes down. Yeah. So um, uh, help me out just a little bit. I know we had a we had a closure again this summer, right? Where are we at right like uh, before September, the rest of August here? What are the regs on Mille Lacs? Yep, it's catch and release only for walleye right now. Um, so people can go out there and, and uh, target fish, um, use whatever bait they want, but uh, no harvest currently. So no we harvest. just had a two, we had a basically a two week window, um, first half of July, where um, we closed the fishery. We've been doing that for the last several years. And the reason is that's when the water temps are warmest and also tends to be a lot of times when the bite can still be fairly um, good. Um, and so that's a time when we saw a lot of hooking mortality some years. And so that two-week closure can sometimes save um, upwards of 20 or even 30,000 pounds of, of um, take um, mm. from hooking mortality. And so it's a conservative way for us to, to preserve later fishing opportunities. Because if we get too close to the state's share of our harvest from the lake for walleye, we have to close the fishery. Um, and so some years that's resulted in a shutting the fishery down around Labor Day. And so the folks that like to do that fall fishing, um, that fall trolling we were talking about, haven't been able to do it in some years. And so um, we're trying to preserve those opportunities as best we can, where we can probably sometimes some years preserve a couple months of fishing with that couple weeks of closure. Now, obviously, the goal is to not have any closure, right? I mean, without I mean, we can touch on this a little bit more later in the interview. But I mean, is there do you have hope that we'll see that in the near future anytime? Yeah, you know, it's something we're going to continue to be talking with our public about, too, because um, some of this gets into, you know, people's interest in what they want to see out of the lake. Um, so when we did our management plan a couple of years ago, we did some public input. And what we heard from our anglers was the number one thing they wanted to have was opportunity. They want to be able to fish. Um, but we also heard from, you know, a significant segment of our populace, population, too. They wanted to have some harvest opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're trying to balance that within a limited amount of pounds of fish that are available for the state to be able to harvest. And so yeah. how we strike that balance of, you know, fishing opportunity while also providing some harvest opportunity too. Um, we need to continue to be talking with our public to see just how we're doing on hitting that sweet spot. Um, it is challenging though, where we've got a you know limited number of pounds and the state's obligated to stay within that harvest. And so if we want to keep the fishery open, we end up sometimes having to set fairly conservative fishing regulations um, so that we um, have a low probability of having that closure happen before the end of the season. Um, and that plan closure is just one way to kind of have those conservative fishing regulations. Yeah. And it's a complicated situation and we don't need to rehash the details of why we are where we are right now. Everybody knows the situation up there. So it, it's where we're at. So you make the best of the situation. And, and honestly, when you look at Minnesota as a whole, I've been a proponent of lowering some limits anyway. Nobody wants to have no harvest. Everybody want, loves to eat walleye, right? So you want to be able to give yeah. them the opportunity to eat walleye. And obviously there's there's 10,000 lakes, you know, plus here in the state. So there's there's other places you can go to take a walleye home. The fishing on Mille Lacs is, is great. You have the chance to catch a big one. So it's a good catch and release lake regardless if you want to keep a fish. But I know if I, I would want to keep a fish if I went there, of course, or two. And, you know, Dan and I have been have been big proponents of lowering limits uh, statewide. You know, uh, a four 
four fish limit uh, statewide would be fine with us. Even a three fish walleye limit, I wouldn't have a problem with. I wouldn't want to go much lower than that, which is which is where you run into issues when you have, say, a one fish limit on a, on a very popular walleye lake, of course. But uh, keep a couple of fish to have a fish fry. I don't like freezing it, so I like to I like to eat it fresh. So I, I'm all about taking what is sustainable. And if, uh, you know, if the data, data says one fish is what, what's sustainable for that lake, I guess that's what, what you have to do. Now, were, you were able to relax that slot a bit and open, open up some opportunity for this fall because of a lower catch rate this summer. Explain how you discovered that and what do you think the reason for that is? Yeah, so the state has a creel survey, so that's where we're out interviewing anglers on the boat launches to see how long they've been out fishing, what they've been catching, and um, from that we can develop an estimate of the number of fish that have been caught. We've got other formulas based on studies we've done on Mille Lacs that then can calculate what the estimated hooking mortality is, and that's based on water temperature um, as the main driver of what varies. Um, so the warmer the water temperatures, the higher the hooking mortality tends to be. Um, and so we um, collect that information throughout the year, and that allows us to keep track of where the state's at as far as the state's take of walleye from the lake. And so this year, the, the bite's been pretty slow. Um, anglers have been you know, having a lot lower catch rates than we've been seeing the last few years. And so as a result, um, the number of fish that have um, you know, presumably, and we're estimating died from hooking mortality is, is relatively low um, compared to what we thought it was going to be. And so uh, that has created the possibility for us to relax the fishing regulations this fall to provide a little bit more opportunity for harvest. Did uh, how are water levels on Mille Lacs this year? You know, um, they were down um, quite a bit last summer, um, as a lot of places with the drought we had. Um, but a lot of that snowmelt that we got um, in the northern half of the state also was in into Mille Lacs, and so the water levels rebounded quite nicely uh, going into the into this summer. And they haven't had quite the drought that the Twin Cities and some parts of Minnesota have had. And so the water levels are a little bit better this year than they were last year. Okay, so water, you know, because some areas had higher than expected water levels for a good chunk of summer that affected affected it. It sort of affected fishing in the sense that you might have had a it created some new fishing holes in in some places. So you might have had to bounce around and look in different places. Might have dispersed the fish a little bit more. But um, what? What so for if uh, increase in forage on Mille Lacs, say the the yellow perch was the main reason that walleyes had plenty to eat? Uh, what do you think? What do you think caused that? Yeah, so this year, you know, as you said, Brett, you know, we've had that lower catch rate, and it's probably mostly related to the amount of food that's out there in the lake. And we've been seeing this in our in our netting surveys that we do out there, um, where this this yellow perch population has seen a pretty significant year class that hatched in 2020. And it's been growing in number as time has gone, or sorry, it's been growing in size as time goes on, but uh, those, they've still stayed relatively abundant. And that's what a lot of the walleye are still feeding on is that 2020 um, year class of yellow perch. And so while they've got an abundance of food out there, the bite's going to be slower. Um, and so um, that's probably what's driving our catch rates to be low. Um, so yeah, the, the yellow clutch perch year class, we're still trying to learn a little bit about that forage base out there and where it's going to settle. Um, it's a changing system, as I've alluded to. Um, we've seen clearing water on the lake um, over time. That's probably related to the Clean Water Act and improvements to septic systems. And, and so we're seeing less pollution going in the water. And so that's meaning clearer water for that reason. 
And then we've got a couple invasive species that have become mm-hmm. well-established in, in the lake as well. So zebra mussels and spiny water, spiny water fleas. And those have really changed the ecology of the lake too, where a lot of the resources used to be able to go into producing forage fish now get diverted into things like zebra mussels and spiny water fleas. And those aren't as available, especially in the case of zebra mussels. It's kind of a, uh, an ecological sink where a lot of that energy now goes into zebra mussels that used to be able to support other things in the lake. Oh, and really? so we saw, we saw some pretty low forage numbers, um, especially around 2018, 2019. Um, so that that's when we had some of the highest catch rates of walleye too. I mean, the, the reports that we were hearing in the Creel of people going out and catching 40, 50 walleye in a day um, regularly, that was an exception. That was pretty commonplace. And so those, those numbers are, are mostly about the amount of forage out there rather than the number of walleye. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, as, as we've seen this big yellow perch pop, uh, year class come along, you know, we're, we're trying to understand better about what that means. Um, obviously, something was good that year as far as the conditions in the lake for, for the yellow perch to succeed in reproducing. Um, and we see this with walleye, too, that there are certain climatic conditions and other things that align that create, you know, favorable conditions in the lake, whether that's that um, the water temps warm up at just the right time so that there's a good bloom of algae that then the zooplankton are feeding on. And then that provides the food for the larval fish to be able to eat and grow um, so that they survive well. Um, or, you know, just having, you know, suitable water temperatures for growth. Um, sometimes if, if the water temps are not right, then the fish won't grow very well and they eventually kind of starve because they haven't been growing very well. So, you know, we've been starting to study the forage out there a little bit more closely. Um, it used to be that we just track that through our fall netting where we'd sample it annually once a year. But we've started to look at throughout the summer now because we want to see what's happening, you know, as these fish, you know, start to become, um, you know, a size where we can catch them in nets and see what their relative abundance is through those seasons rather than just once a year. Um, So we've been going out and doing that every month where we go out and sample some of these forage fish as well to Mm -hmm. be able to get a better handle on what's going on. And we've only been doing that for a couple of years. And so we're still starting to learn just what those numbers mean. Um, and so it'll be interesting to not only track that 2020 year class, but other ones that happen over the time, over time to see how they compare. So for, for a while there, uh, fighting invasive species was taking priority over, over, uh, working on the forage base in the lake. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's all interconnected, right? And so we've got to keep track of, you know, what's happening with the forage because mm-hmm. that's what's driving growth of our walleye. And, and in, in some senses, what, you know, the amount of fish that that lake can support for predators, um, and the invasive species like zebra mussels and spiny water flea are, are involved in what, what the productivity is of the lake. And so we've been tracking those invasive species numbers as well. So we go out annually and do dives where we have transects where we count the number of zebra mussels that are on the bottom of the lake. We do zooplankton tows where we're capturing those spiny water fleas and other zooplankton to track what's happening in that level of the productivity of the, le- the lake. So we're trying to look at all the different pieces of the puzzle and see how they fit together. So fishing... Uh, as you mentioned, fishing uh, uh, for the last few years has been phenomenal out there. I've heard of some some huge days on that lake uh, of catching some nice walleyes out there. And um, 
you hear you haven't heard about the perch quite as much but with this year class then do you think then the perch fishing like these fish will grow to a size where the the fishing will get better for us too as well for those fish we will see some of that you know some of those fish are going to grow to a, a catchable size in the next year or two probably i think they're you know six seven inches right now so not there yet but um i think in a couple years they're going to be there and they're like i said they're staying in a high enough abundance that i think that there's going to be fish that grow out the other side they're not all going to get gobbled up by by predators so yeah i think there's there's something to look forward to a little bit because i know that that's a that's a fishery that hasn't been as as good on mille Lacs of recent years as those those jumbo perch that i know some people love to go and catch um so yeah we may see a little bit of a boost in a couple of years that people can get out and maybe do a little more of that so the biggest question I'm sure you've gotten over the years is, uh, gosh, fishing is so good on Mille Lacs. I, I mean, the walleye numbers must be doing real well. Why do we still have these restrictions on us? How how are the walleye numbers overall on the lake? And do you foresee any long-term changes, maybe in, you know down the road increasing that bag limit or increasing our harvest size uh, for not just for us, but for the, the tribes as well? Or is it is it are we are we going to be sitting here for a while, you think? Yeah, I think we've been we've been trying to, like I said, learn just where this lake is going to settle in its new equilibrium. And so, um, yeah, we had a, a pretty low number of walleye around 2012, 2013, um, where people were really concerned at that point. Um, and that's right about the time that this really big year class of walleye came out in 2013 and started growing from there. And that's been driving the fishery for the most part since then. That's the bulk of the fish that are out there in the lake. Mm -hmm. um, we also had a pretty good year class in 2017. So it's, it's a couple of strong year classes with some, you know, sort of modest ones in between. Um, so it's been a few years, again, since we've seen a really strong walleye year class. You know, like I said, 2017 is the last really strong one that we've seen. Um, there's certainly still fish hat that are, that are recruiting from the fishery each of the years since then. But these really big year classes on Mille Lacs tend to be the ones that really drive fishing. So we're going to continue to keep an eye on, you know, those sorts of trends in reproduction. Um, but right now, the walleye population... Um, has been pretty stable the last three years, actually. Our, our netting and, and our modeling, you know, that sort of tracks the population shows that it's been fairly fairly consistent the last three years or so, um, so that it's it's rebounded quite a bit from those lows that we saw back in around 2012, 2013. But it's not nearly as many walleye as we used to have in the lake either. It's probably half the number of, of pounds of walleye out there in the lake from what we had um, back in the 90s. And um, because of the changes that we've seen in the lake, you know, it's, it's unlikely we're probably going to go back to that. But it's still unclear exactly where this is going to settle. And so, you know, working with our tribal partners to manage the lake, we've also got to kind of, you know, figure out the different parties, where they want to see this lake go and what they think the potential is. And so, you know, we're trying to, to, to work on figuring out just, just where we think the lake couldn't get to. And um, so there's interest in trying to maintain that possibility that the fish can recover. Sure. Um, that slot limit, I've always kind of wondered about that slot limit. So uh, 21 to 23 or now 20 to 23. Is that one of those strong year classes? Um, because a lot of times, I mean, a lot of times we won't even keep a walleye over 20 inches. Um, yep. So to have that one, I've always wondered, is that just because that's, there's, a stre there's strength in numbers in that size? It's a good question, Brad. I'm glad you asked it. Um, so when we, when we pick a slot limit for, for harvest, we're trying to balance you know, where the, the numbers of fish are in the population with um, what people also are interested in keeping, right? And so because we've got a couple of pretty significant year classes, they are all kind of a similar size. 
And so if we put the slot limit right in the middle of that sort of big peak of sizes of fish in the size distribution, we'd probably hit our harvest really fast. People would be catching keepers quite regularly. Um, but if we put it someplace completely outside of the zone of where fish sizes are, they would have almost no chance of, of catching a, a keeper. And so we kind of have to try to put it at a place where we think people will catch, have a chance to catch a keeper, but not such a great chance that every time somebody goes out, they're going to keep one. Because hmm. um, otherwise, we'd have to shut down the fishery at some point. And so the 21 to 23 that we originally planned for this fall was trying to stay away from the, the sort of more center of the peak, which is around 20 inches or so for the number of walleye that are out there in the lake right now. Um, and so actually it might be more like 19. But anyway, um, by expanding that slot limit by just one inch, it actually brings in a lot of fish um, that are in that in that year class, the 2013 year class. And so both that move and then also bringing that maximum size limit down from 28 to 26, between those two, it actually puts about 50% more walleye into oh, wow. a harvestable size than we had before. So that one inch of movement is really significant for the number of fish that are available for harvest now. You're going to have a lot of guys trying to stretch those walleyes. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope we don't see any guys. of that because uh, our <laughs> conservation officers will be keeping an eye on it. <laughs> of course. Well, and the, the other thing is uh, a 21-inch walleye, there's a lot of meat on a fish like that. So even if you can only keep one, I mean, that'll feed a couple of people, really. Yep. I mean, it's a, yep. it's a good amount of meat. And I think that's part of the those. thinking is that, um, you know, it's, it's something that you can actually feed a few people on. Um, and especially if you take two of you two or three people in the boat and you're able to boat a couple of them, then yeah, that's probably a pretty solid meal for people. Um, and, uh, you know, we could have, you know, looked at putting a size limit that was really small, you know, harvest 13 or 14 inch fish um, as a way to, you know, avoid that peak of fish as well. But then again, that's, that's not as much of a meal. Um, and it also is sacrificing, you know, growth that those fish mm -hmm. might have over time too, to a little bit bigger size too. Well, it's nice to have, you know, some good news, really, about Malax. <laughs> you, know, you always Yeah, you know, it's it's good and bad, right? Because obviously the yeah. fishing's been a little slow out there, and that's why we're able to offer this offer this opportunity. But we want to make sure when we got the chance, we do give a little bit of additional opportunity. Um, and we felt like this was the year to do that. I'm sure, you know, you'll always have some people that'll, that'll hope for more and it's, you can't keep everyone happy. I've learned I've, uh, the DNR, you know, I don't agree with everything the DNR does, but I will say the DNR, it's a thankless job that you guys have. And uh, I applaud you for doing it because especially when you deal with Mille Lacs, it's a tough one. And, uh, you know, it's yep. good. It's good to have some increased opportunity. And what, what do you, the winter regs come out December 1st. I can't remember if we, we touched on this maybe a little bit. Do you, do you foresee any changes for the winter now in, uh, in light of what's going on now, or will you determine that here over the next couple of months? Yeah, so we annually do our netting surveys for walleye in the fall. So we'll be out there in September here, starting probably in two, three weeks. Um, and we'll be out there gathering more information about what the walleye population is looking like, both the numbers and then also the size structure of the fish. Um, cause, because all that forage is out there this summer, they're likely growing a lot more than they have the last couple of years too. So we may see more fish growing into those slot limits we've been using the last couple of years. We've had that 21 to 23 inch harvest slot for the winter, I think for the last three or four years. Um, so as I said before, you know, we have to kind of strike that balance of how many fish do we want in that harvest slot? Um, how many fish do we want to see of our 
uh, the states take for the year happen in winter versus preserving some for open water. Um, so we'll have to kind of figure out that right balance because um, we don't want to use up all of our pounds or a significant number in winter. And then there's there's limited opportunities in the open water season, too. Mm-hmm. So we're, again, trying to balance all these different pot- potential competing interests when we make that decision. So we'll, we'll look at the netting data um, that will be available in October and, and probably around early November is usually when we announce what the, the new winter uh, regulation is going to be. Well, when you look at a, a, a world-class fishery like Malax and its close proximity to our largest metro area, you're going to have to deal with a lot of fishing pressure. And that, sometimes that creates a delicate situation. And then you, you add in all these other factors, too, and it can That's be a really good point, Brett, because, you know, our, our northern Minnesota walleye lakes, they just don't have the potential for the pressure we might see on a lake like Malax. You know, being in a couple hours from the Twin Cities or less, you know, people can run up there for the night to go fishing. Um, and so we see a lot more pressure on Malax, um, especially when the fishing's really good. And that's one of the challenges we have to try to figure out is that we can't always predict how many people are gonna go fishing. And it has a lot to do with the bite a lot of times. Um, but uh, that plays a lot into how many walleye the state ended up taking in a year too. And that can, can vary a lot on a lake like Malax. That's why we always joke, you know, we do a lot of fishing in Canada and we always joke that it's cheating up there and it, and it just all has to do. I mean, obviously there's, there's good habitat for fish, but it all has to do in relation to pressure. And, uh, just the more people you put on a lake, the, the, the fishing is just going to get a little bit tougher. Uh, there's only, mm-hmm. only so many fish to go around. So that's something that you always have to deal with. And being a regional fisheries guy, I'm sure you don't always deal with Malax. What else is going on out there? What other, what other, uh, things you know, are you seeing in the fishing world? One of the phenomenal fisheries that I think doesn't get talked about enough is uh, the Mississippi Ripper and Lake Pepin. Um, That's the other large lake that I have in my region. And the walleye and sauger fishing on Pepin is as good as it's been in probably 50 years right now. There are multiple big year classes of walleye and sauger out there, especially walleye. And so last last fall, we set basically, I think, the, the highest or maybe the second highest catch we'd ever seen for walleye on Lake Pepin. Um, and the fish grow incredibly fast down there where the minimum size is 15 inches and the fish get there in their third summer of growth. Um, whereas it might take, you know, five years for fish, more, more northerly fish to get there. So these year classes of big, big year classes of fish we've been seeing grow really fast and get into that size where they're, they're keepers. And so there was some really good fishing um, through June. I know down there in Pepin, I haven't heard any reports lately, but People are really happy with the fishing down there. So I think that's something people should consider, you know, talking about fisheries that are close to the Twin Cities. That's every bit as close as Mille Lacs is to um, the Twin Cities, but hardly anybody thinks to drive south to go walleye fishing, I think. Obviously, we know smallmouth and walleyes coexist. They do it on other lakes up north in Canada, wherever. But Mm -hmm. the smallmouth fishing has been so good the last few years, and it seems that abundance has kind of surged while the walleye abundance is doing its thing. Do you... think and not that i really believe there is but do you think there's a correlation between a smallmouth growth and a walleye decline or why are the smallmouth able to because they kind of use similar habitat to a walleye why are they thriving when our walleyes aren't yeah that's a good question um so smallmouth bass and walleye kind of have different feeding behaviors um walleye have those special eyes that can see really well in low light and so they can feed really well in cloudier water um, and smallmouth bass, their vision is much more about seeing things in clear water from a distance. And so as that lake is cleared up for all the reasons we just talked about, it's favored smallmouth bass feeding a little more efficiently than they used to. Um, and so we're seeing a better, you know, more robust 
small with bass population as a result. Um, that being said, the biomass of fish that are out there still significantly favors walleye. There's a lot more walleye out there than bass. Um, the bass tend to be, as most anglers know, in those rockier areas of the mm-hmm. lake, and, and we don't see too many of them in other places. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they've kind of reached a um, sort of equilibrium, it seems. You know, we, we annually sample the bass population too through electrofishing and, and the monitor both the abundance and size structure that way. And they seem to have kind of settled into a, a new equilibrium at that population where it doesn't seem to be continuing to grow um but uh obviously an incredible size structure you know it was um lax one year bass magazine put it as the number one bass lake in the country because this size structure was so amazing um and people didn't know that before some of those big national tournaments started going there um so yeah it's it's people from all over the country that are coming to fish bass up there because it's such a phenomenal bass fishery but it's still it's still limited in where they're going to be and what they're doing. And so there's a little bit of competition with walleye for sure. Um, but it's, it's actually, they're feeding on some different things. A lot of times too, those bass are feeding a lot on insects and crayfish. We did a, um, a diet study out there a few years ago, looking at this question. And, and, um, there's a little bit of overlap with walleye at certain times of year where they're feeding on shiners or something like that. But, uh, a lot of the year they're actually eating different stuff too. So, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, there's a little bit of overlap, a little bit of competition, but, I think that the the invasive species impacts are much bigger than anything that that smallmouth bass have had to the walleye population. Hmm. You hear people complain, oh, these all all these smallmouth bass it's ruining the walleye population. But I've also been hearing lately, and particularly with the increase in in sturgeon that we're starting to see in in some of the historic areas in the state that where they're coming back, Minnesota River, Big Stone, uh, Otter Tail County. What what impact do you think sturgeon have on walleye, if anything? You know, I don't know a ton about um, how that might be playing out. I've heard that from a few places around the state, especially Ottertail County. I think that's where our sturgeon population has really boomed over the last few years, a new introduction. And, and at the same time, they've seen some maybe some smaller year classes of walleye, too. And so people are trying to put, you know, those two together. And I don't think we necessarily know that that's the case. Um, we've got plenty of populations like Lake of the Woods and the Rainy River where we've got very robust uh, lake sturgeon populations and we don't have, you know, any issues it seems with walleye recruitment or anything like that. So, you know, it's something we'll certainly be looking at um, and considering, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know for sure if there's a, if there's an direct, you know, cause and effect sort of thing, or if it just happens to be a correlation in some of those systems. Sure. Well, we could talk fishing all day here with you, but we'll uh, we'll let you go now. But any other uh, fishing related news or Malax related news out there that we need to get to our our listeners? Uh, you know, I don't think I have anything else, but other than just to say that, you know, it's been exciting to see this renewed interest in fishing a little bit with the pandemic and some people mm-hmm. getting out there and, and maybe rediscovering fishing um, or, or maybe trying it for, for the first time. And, and I hope that people continue to, you know, get out there and do that. Um, and I hope that everybody that's an, an angler continues to do that and encourage the next generation of anglers to get out there and do it, too. So it's, it's up to all of us to keep this tradition going. Absolutely. All right. Brian Nurbin, Regional Fisheries Manager, Minnesota DNR. Appreciate the time today here on the show. Thanks for having me. This has been the Finding Fins Fishing Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or go to FindingFins.com and make sure to like our sponsors. 
Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. 